Hello, my friends. Uh, very interesting. The government asked for comments on its censorship proposals. Now, they did this during the summer when everyone was focused on other things, but nonetheless, a number of groups did give their thoughts. Internet technical groups, internet lawyers, professors, and our friends at the Independent Press Gallery did too, but the groups you would express expect to speak out, the Canadian Association of Journalists, didn't have a word to say. They're not against censorship at all. I'll take you through it. Hey, before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's a video version of this podcast. I'll show you things, video things, documents that on the podcast you only have to imagine. That's a good reason to subscribe, also to support us. We don't take a dime from Trudeau. That's important. Please consider helping us. I'd sure appreciate it. Go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. Eight bucks a month. That's a bargain. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, no one in Canada wants the government to increase censorship of the internet. No one except for journalists. It's October 1st, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. For two years, we've been warning you about Trudeau's plans to censor the internet. Give him credit for that, at least. He hasn't been hiding it. Right after the 2019 election, he appointed Stephen Gilbo, the convicted criminal, to be his heritage minister. And he gave him what's called a mandate letter. That's a job description for cabinet ministers, a to-do list. The first point on his mandate letter was for Gilbo to ramp up payments to the media. They used a slightly more polite way of saying it, but really, that was job one, pay off friends. And job two was censor enemies brutally. In fact, Trudeau said there had to be a vicious punishment for anyone who publishes offensive things online. Fair enough, Trudeau's a bit of an expert about offensive and racist things. For two years, Gilbo, not the most competent of men, dilly-dallied, and he was just Absolutely awful. Remember this. So how will this work? How are you going to regulate websites? How are you going to register all that? Are you, do you buy these recommendations? Well, the, I mean, the re one of the recommendations, so you're talking about a, cup, a couple of different things here, but as far as the licensing is concerned, is if you're a distributor of content in Canada, and obviously, you know, if, if you're a, if, if you're a sm very small media organization, the requirement probably wouldn't be the same as if you're Facebook or, or Google, um, uh, so th 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 there would have to be some proportionality uh, uh, embedded into this, but we, we would ask that they have a license. Yeah. Yes. That was widely considered to be a disaster, but really, other than embarrassing himself, he didn't really stop, did he? First, he proposed something called Bill C-10, which would nationalize the internet in terms of regulation and jurisdiction. It would let the Canadian government rule over YouTube and Facebook and Netflix and Amazon and Google, just like it runs TV stations in Canada and radio stations determining who can live and who can die as a company, and more importantly, who pays taxes, but who gets handouts, who gets licenses. And then Bill C-36, which revives the uh, hate speech provisions of the Canadian Human Rights Act, which lets people be prosecuted for saying hurtful things, not criminal things, just mean things online. 
except they made it worse, of course. Bill C-36 complaints are allowed to be made in secret. You can have a secret vendetta against your enemy, and they'll even never even know it was you. They'll never know who accused them. But you'll have to pay them thousands of dollars. Both of those proposals, C-10 and C-36, are awful. But right after Parliament broke for the summer, Gilboa went further. His department released hundreds of pages of proposed new legislation and regulation. A third law, not C-10, not C-36, which, which died when Parliament was suspended, but a third proposal, the biggest and worst ever. And you can see why they dumped it during the summer, not when Parliament was around to scrutinize it. It was crazy. Well, that's not fair. It was perfectly sane. It was just evil, un-Canadian, censorious, undemocratic, illiberal. That's not all. Um, it, it, it's, I, it is inaccurate to call it crazy. It's just not anything that any country in the free world would do. First and foremost, it was about stopping people from criticizing the government, from criticizing politicians like him. We've seen too many examples of public officials retreating from public service due to the hateful online content targeted towards themselves or even their families. And the rules had shocking punishments, like literally the ability to delete entire websites that offend him. We envision having blocking orders. I mean, that's that maybe um, it's not, you know, it's a it, it would be. It would likely be a, a last result, last result uh, nuclear bomb in, in, a, in a toolbox of, uh, of mechanism for, for a regulator. Gilboa and Trudeau would create an internet regulator with this power. You know it would be a crony, someone like Gerald Butts, someone petty and vindictive, probably Gerald Butts himself. You know Trudeau wants this so badly. You know it because his hand-picked regulator for the debates commission Banned rebel news twice, two elections in a row from the debates, and federal courts had to throw that out, two elections in a row. But despite that, literally hours after the federal court told him he couldn't do that this year, Trudeau at the debates still said, not just to us, but to the courts, that he doesn't care what the court says, he doesn't care what the Charter of Rights says, he doesn't think we are journalists, and he doesn't think we deserve the rights or the respect of journalists, or frankly, for that matter, of being citizen journalists of daring to ask him questions. Here's our Tamara Ugolini asking him about that. And listen to what he says and put yourself in the mindset of the court that just ruled we have the right to be journalists. Look at this. I have a question from Tamara Ugolini from Rebel News. Thank you. Mr. Trudeau, the only reason that I'm allowed to ask you this question is because today the federal court ruled that the government doesn't have the right to determine who is or is not a journalist. This is the second election in a row that the court had to overturn your government. Do you still insist on being able to make that decision and why? First of all, questions around accreditation were handled by the press gallery and the consortium of uh, networks who have uh, strong perspectives on quality journalism and the important information that is shared with Canadians. Uh, the reality is, Organizations, organizations like yours uh, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation on the science around vaccines, around how we're going to actually get through this pandemic and be there for each other and keep our kids safe is part of why we're seeing such um, unfortunate 
uh, anger and lack of understanding of basic science. And quite frankly, your, I won't call it a media organization, your group of uh, individuals uh, need to take accountability for uh, some of the polarization that we're seeing in this country. And I think Canadians uh, are cluing into the fact that uh, there is a really important decision we take about the kind of country we want to see. And I salute all extraordinary hardworking journalists that put science and facts at the heart of what they do and ask me tough questions every day, uh, but make sure that they are educating and informing Canadians from a broad range of perspectives, which is the last thing. A lot of people cheered Trudeau's answer. He put us in our place. Well, fair enough, he does hate us and he got the last word because that's how his cronies set up the question and answer session. But he just showed he doesn't believe in our rights, even when the court tells us that we have them. He doesn't respect the courts if they don't do what he says. He doesn't respect the law other than as a tool for his own ambitions. So Stephen Gilbo dumped his proposal to the public after Parliament rose for the summer, and he said that he called for consultations, but Parliament wasn't sitting, so there were no hearings. No one was working in Parliament. They were out campaigning. It was a meaningless consultation, of course. The whole point of censorship is you don't really want to hear from people who disagree with you anyway, so who cares, right? Despite that, a whole raft of groups who care about the internet, and even a few who care about freedom, weighed in. One guy I really admire is Professor Michael Geist, a freedom-oriented professor at the University of Ottawa who wrote a detailed reply to the proposals. It's fascinating. He points out the proposal doesn't even mention the Charter of Rights at all. That the proposal isn't really made in Canada. It adopts the worst of bad policy choices from other countries. That it blurs how to deal with real crimes like terrorism or child pornography with political non-crimes like hurting Gilbo's feelings. Geis points out how this censorship can creep into anything online, including, I don't know, do you use that private messaging app called WhatsApp? That could be covered too. And all of this with a massive new bureaucracy. It's really a great analysis from Professor Geis, and there are others like it from other scholars. Very interesting, if you have the time. Here's another group of lawyers and academics called Citizen Lab. I'll sum up their points. This consultation is inadequate. The proposed regime will not achieve its intended goals. The scope of the proposal is overbroad and incoherent. Automated enforcement exacerbates pre-existing problems. Unidirectional takedown incentive will likely be inequitable and unconstitutional. Surveillance and mandatory reporting requirements are dangerous and chilling. New CSIS powers are unjustified and inappropriately included in this consultation. And conclusion, rewrite the proposal from the ground up. Holy mackerel. That's a pretty succinct summary, isn't it? They go into great detail, of course. Heck of a read. Then there's this from the Canadian Internet Policy Group of Scholars. The online harms proposal combines some of the worst elements of other laws around the world. This is why CIPIC, that's the name of their group, believes that the Department of Canadian Heritage needs to overhaul its current approach to addressing the problems caused by unlawful online content. We are seriously concerned about numerous elements of the proposed law, such as the lack of adequate transparency requirements, the loosened requirements for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, to obtain basic subscriber information, 
the various jurisdictional issues raised by the law, and whether an administrative body like the Digital Recourse Council should be able to determine what speech is legal under Canadian law. Holy moly. Let me read some more. Here's the Internet Society of Canada. Let me read three paragraphs from their work, okay? The remedies proposed by the government effectively create two parallel regimes, both of which are intrusive of the privacy rights of individuals. They are designed to chill speech. The prime remedy for Internet harms, as proposed by the government, is a mandated censorship regime. It would require social media platforms under the supervision of the state to censor the speech of their users. The platform censorship regime would be backed by an ongoing governmental surveillance of the censorship practices of the platforms to ensure they meet minimal government standards and that the government determines to be best practices. The second remedy consists of requirements that platforms report to law enforcement and national security agencies content that it may have adjudged harmful under its internal censorship policies. Holy moly! There are actually about a half a dozen other groups that scorch the government like this. And these are scholars. They're legal experts or in internet industry groups. They are not partisan people. These are not political parties. In fact, the conservatives have been silent. <laughs> But all these experts think it's astonishingly bad law and policy. But I can see only one journalism group that weighed in. Our friends at the Internet Press Gallery, run by Candace Malcolm of True North, about 50 or so independent journalists in it, including Rebel News. Um, it's, uh, you can see here, we'll, we'll post the whole document below this video. I encourage you to read it. It's the freedom argument. It's from freedom-oriented journalists. There are so many great arguments in here, including many related to the utter vagueness of the powers given to the internet regulator. That's not by accident. Vague legal drafting is designed to give bureaucrats maximum power later. Here's a sample. Let me read a little bit for, for you. C-36, the Canadian Human Rights Commission, will be inundated with allegations of hate speech where the speech is of a quasi-private nature or the complainant has not suffered an adverse consequence in the protected areas as required by the part two of the Moore test. Finally, it is arbitrary, unreasonable, overly broad and unnecessary for the commission to have jurisdiction over communication on the internet or by telecommunication where the same communication made verbally or in print would fall outside the commission's jurisdiction. Isn't that the truth? Do you, you get that? So you can say something anywhere else and the law can't touch you. You say it on the internet and uh, suddenly they can hunt you for it. How does that make sense? That's a good observation. Here's another part in there where internet companies themselves have to report your bad behavior to the cops. And I do mean the cops, cops. Here's the passage. OCSP, by the way, stands for Online Communications Service Providers. Let me read this to you. Suspicions and bias. We also raise issues with the obligation on OCSPs to make reports to the RCMP when they have, quote, reasonable grounds to suspect harm. First, this proposal is supposed to be a regulatory process and not an expansion of policing obligations to private organizations. Second, unbridled and discretionary authority based on suspicions will almost certainly result in disproportionate policing by OSP and law enforcement of racialized and low-income communities, as well as those who express unpopular speech. I really recommend you read the whole document yourself. You can find it on our website under the video, and you can find it, of course, on the Independent Press Gallery website. But imagine that, requiring everyone in the internet business to be an informant and a snitch. That's totally the true way. But 
Hang on a second, okay? I mentioned the Independent Press Gallery. That's the group we're a part of. Candace Malcolm's the president. That's in contraposition to the Parliamentary Press Gallery. That's the big press gallery in Ottawa that all the government journalists are part of. Where's their submission on these online harms, this internet censorship? Where's theirs? They didn't make one. Where's the group CJFE, Canadian Journalists for Free Expression? Surely they got something to say, right? I mean, that's their name. No, they're silent. I actually went to their Twitter feed just to check. And instead, I saw this. Canadian Journalists for Free Expression condemns Canadian People's Party leader Maxime Bernier's attempt to intimidate and punish journalists whose reporting he described as disgusting smear jobs by encouraging his Twitter followers to play dirty and write directly to them. Oh, is that, is that playing dirty? Such an attempt to target individual journalists by a party leader has no place in the Canadian democratic process. So nothing about freedom of the press, nothing about the biggest, worst censorship plans in Canadian history. That's all fine with CJFE. It's a globally awful plan. Nothing on that, but a demand to silence Maxime Bernier because he told his followers to email journalists on their publicly available work journalists. And how about the biggest of them all, the Canadian Association of Journalists? They are what their name says they are. Well, they didn't have anything to say about this censorship provision. What are you, crazy? They want to go after Bernier too, and they're going further. They actually want the police to go after Maxime Bernier. Take a look for yourself. CAJE urges government law enforcement to address targeted harassment of reporters. The Canadian Association of Journalists is mindful that several sections of the criminal code prohibit the willful promotion of hatred. For this reason, we urge the RCMP and other law enforcement bodies to launch investigations immediately. Got it. Look, they know whose who's team they're on. It's 2021. They get paid by Justin Trudeau. They always naturally leaned to Trudeau anyways. Bernier is against their media bailout. And he said something mean to one of them. They don't want to mess around with an internet censor. They want much more. They want the police to go silence their enemy. And they're saying this in public because they know, what are you going to do about it? So yeah, when the censorship bill comes in, and it will, everyone will be against it in Canada, except Trudeau and his harem of prostitutes. I'm sorry to use such rude language. <laughs> and soon that kind of talk will be illegal, won't it? But is there a more accurate way to describe such treachery from journalists who used to care about freedom in the press? <laughs> Stay with us for more. Well, yesterday was the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. This was a day that Justin Trudeau himself decided should be observed for the federal government, at least, and some other industries. It was a day to contemplate the relationship between Aboriginal people and the government, and especially for the government itself. It was the perfect Trudeau day. He says he cares so very deeply. And yet, if you looked at his official calendar online, well, it said he was in private meetings in Ottawa, but then news broke that that, well, that simply wasn't true. He wasn't in Ottawa at all. He was in his favorite place, doing his favorite thing. He was in Tofino, on the west coast of Vancouver Island, surfing. His staff lied 
And when asked by journalists, they specifically denied it. CBC, the state broadcaster, claimed that he was not surfing, but rather he was doing very important things related to the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. But look at this. Someone spotted the lad surfing. And Tofino, take a look. Why not in person, sir? They invited you. Well, like you, I'm just shocked that Justin Trudeau would believe in virtue signaling, but when he thought the cameras weren't watching, he's really just going to surf and smoke some pot and really be Justin Trudeau. The CBC lied. Congratulations to the other media that caught the line. You know, this isn't the first time that Justin Trudeau has claimed to support Aboriginal people, but then when the mask slips, he shows his true nature. You'll remember when one of his fundraisers was crashed by a protester asking about the undrinkable water at Grassy Narrows, he said, well, I'll let you see for yourself. If it was your family that's been waiting for 500 days, if your family was suffering from mercury poisoning, what would you do? If it was your family, would you accept it? Would you accept 500 days for 1%? Mr. Trudeau, for 500 days, you have not kept the commitment. If it was your own family, what would you do? Thank you for your donation. One more flashback while we're at it. I was at this event, a boxing match between Justin Trudeau and Senator Patrick Brazo, an Aboriginal senator. Look at what Trudeau said. Look at the laughter here. Take a look. So I said, you know, we're both known for our long hair on the hill. Uh, let's, let's say the loser gets a haircut. Um, he resisted back a little bit, you know, pointing out that hair has a cultural significance for First Nations peoples. And I said, uh, I know, that's why I proposed it. When a warrior cuts his hair, it's a sign of shame. So it's, uh, it's very apropos. He deliberately wanted to humiliate Senator Patrick Brazo in a way that would embarrass him as an Aboriginal man. Well, joining us now to talk about this in studio is our friend Drea Humphrey, our West Coast reporter. It's great to have you here at our office. We don't see you enough. It's a pleasure right. to have you here in person. Yeah, it feels really official. I think this is my first time is that a in fact? the studio. Well, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. <laughs> what do you think about the story of the day? I mean, Justin Trudeau couldn't for one day, the holiday he invented, he couldn't observe it because he really doesn't give a damn. Well, it's a classic case of actions speak louder than words. We've seen this many times with him before. And like you said, he brought that in. I think there's only 13 things that have been fulfilled out of the truth and reconciliation. And this holiday was one of them. And he couldn't even fake caring. 
You know, and it couldn't get any worse than, you know, having to manipulate where you're saying you're going and then going to B.C. for how many times has he been to B.C.? Well, he um, goes there for votes. But right. when, but when those official things are done, he does what he wants. You know, he, he claimed to care so very much about this issue of these graveyards where the remains of kids and others from these residential schools were found. And he made a big scene about that. But I learned that the chief of the Indian band that you went to mm -hmm. in Kamloops, I think it's called the Kamloops yes. band, She's had swimming. invited him twice mm -hmm. to come visit her. He didn't accept that. He wanted to go surfing instead on the holiday that he created. It's a fake. Everything about him is fake. Absolutely. It's really shameful. And you know, also, like, he knew about these grave sites before, because, again, if you read the Truth and Reconciliation, it, that was one of the things it's that were brought up. On so to only care about it after the initial announcement, that's just another symbol of what's happening here. Yeah. But yet somehow, three terms, and who's the prime minister? <laughs> yeah, it's very frustrating. And BC is so interesting. I, I think of that wonderful neighborhood, Vancouver Granville, yeah. which is, if anyone's Beautiful. ever been to Vancouver, it's such a lovely neighborhood. Yeah. And Granville Island Gran is a wonderful place. You gotta if you gotta like, go. If you like to snack, which, you know, I do. But- Get the donuts. That's right. They had, they had one of the most ethical MPs in recent memory. I'm talking mm -hmm. about Jody Whistler-Raybould. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't know of any other cabinet minister who resigned on a matter of ethics that she would not go along with uh, an unethical plan like that. That's so rare. Yeah. I can't even think of the last time that happened in Canada, certainly not in my memory. And to replace her with a sneaky liberal, that house flipper who flipped a house 41 times or something <sighs> while complaining about house speculation. And he won his seat, right? I, I, that's what it, it <sighs> breaks my heart. And I don't get it because I see through them. Mm -hmm. I see the phony, the phony feminist mm -hmm. who gropes women and allows other gropers in his uh, party. The phony Aboriginal sympathizer who actually doesn't give a care unless the camera's on. The phony anti-racist who dresses up in blackface so often he's lost count. <laughs> phony, phony, phony. I see through that. I'm just surprised that others don't. They're just wooed by him or maybe they're not paying attention or maybe they don't care. I don't know if it's just people aren't paying attention so they think liberal is the way they're supposed to vote. But I kid you not, I have still heard people say he's good looking. Like, yeah. like what does that have to do? Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And so it's just, I, I'm tired of these politicians just, you know, using the whole race thing whenever it's convenient for yeah. them for votes or for status and pictures and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I did a monologue where I went through a Statistics Canada survey that showed new Canadians think we're less racist than white old stock Canadians. I, I believe that for sure. Yeah. I can, I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think <laughs> it's very, it's very strange. And, and one of the depressing things in that same StatsCan survey is that the young folks think we're racist. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't know our history or maybe they're being taught to hate this country. Anyone who comes to this country is obviously making the choice that it's better than wherever they were for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just for economic reasons. Maybe it's for political freedom. Maybe their family's here. For whatever reason, they're obviously choosing to come here. Trudeau is the specialist at denigrating our own country. He's the one who said we committed a genocide against mm -hmm. Aboriginal people. Of all the people in the country 
who should be observing this new holiday. It should be him. He's the one who claims we did a genocide, yet he's out surfing on the, that would be like on Holocaust Memorial Day, you know, just going to, going to some dance party or something. If you claim you care about right. it. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to care about it, but you're the one who created the holiday. You're the one who claims you care about it and you're out surfing. Well, and he went to Tofino, lied about going there, and then he yeah. gets caught there. He didn't reach out to the Tofino Indian right. band either. There's a lot of Indian bands right? Right in those parts, yeah. Yeah, so he could have done that, you know, two birds with one stone, but yeah. he just doesn't care. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, Drea, we're very proud of the work you're doing. Uh, in, and you tried to hold him to account on a variety yes. of issues. Yeah. Of course, his bodyguards only allowed people to come close to him if they wanted a selfie, <laughs> not anyone asking questions. But I appreciate you doing a great job during the election. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Great to have you out here. That's Dre Humphrey. Stay with us. More ahead. All right. Thanks, Efron. I tell you, if you have the time, may I invite you to read through the Independent Press Gallery briefing to the government. Now, it's obviously going to be ignored by the government, but the arguments are very interesting about what this online harms, as Gilbo and Trudeau call it, what their censorship law will do. I think it's really terrifying. It's very interesting to me that everyone in the industry is against it, and they use very strong language. And by industry, I mean the actual internet industry, those involved in the bones of the internet, the, the backbone. But those who use the internet and use freedom in their daily work, the Canadian Association of Journalists, Canadian Journalists for Free Expression, they're totally silent about the censorship and they're using their power to go after Maxime Bernier because he said something mean to them. They're for censorship, it's incredible. And of course they are Trudeau's base, so you know that censorship is coming. We're gonna fight it like hell. We're gonna throw everything we have at it because if we don't, who will? Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be a member of the Independent Press Gallery uh, and I'm grateful there is such a thing because of course the Parliamentary Press Gallery is useless other than as an auxiliary to Trudeau's government. Well, that's our show for today. As you know, these days we end by showing you an interesting video along the way. Here's a video by Kean Simone, we call him K2. And he caught up with uh, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky when Pastor Arthur was being let out of jail. He got out of jail at around midnight the other night. And then he went back to the police station to get his stuff. It was an interesting interaction and some very raw comments. So I'll leave you with that video. And if you think that Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky isn't just someone whose own rights are being trampled on, but rather he's a bulwark stopping the government from trampling your rights, consider going to SaveArthur.com because we're crowdfunding his legal defense. Anyways, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy this video from K2 with Pastor Arthur. And until next time, I see you on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home. Good night and keep fighting for freedom. Here's that video. I'm just doing my job. What can I do? I'm just doing my job. Well, I'm going in and see if my staff is there. Good morning. I'm here to pick up my staff. Kian K2 Simone here for Rebel News. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, where I'll be catching up with Arthur Pavlowski, who was just released on bail a few days ago after a second SWAT style arrest at the airport returning to the country. All right. Jack, you on your bike? 
Not only was he vanished off the plane, but so was his luggage. Today I'll be meeting him at the police headquarters to receive that luggage and catch up with him for a quick interview before, just in case they pull a fast one. Before we get to that, I would like to ask you for your help to go to savearcher.com and help fund his legal fees against his battle against the Alberta government. Well, as you know, I have been traveling around the USA for the past four months to share my story, to let the Americans know what is happening in Australia, what is happening in New Zealand, and right now what is happening in Canada is heading their way. So I came over there to share my story of injustice that I'm facing. I have become a political prisoner simply because I'm a pastor, simply because I value my Christian uh, faith and I want to stand by my beliefs and uh, to share that story and also to warn them if they will not rise up for their liberties, if they will not stand up for their freedoms, uh, what is happening to me is going to happen to every one of them. Uh, you see, America is still a power horse. If they will rise up and stand up, uh, we can rescue the rest of the free world. So I was there for four months. I was treated like a hero, uh, standing ovations all over the place, meeting with the governor, meeting with Congress people, uh, meeting with uh, uh, you know senators and uh, very powerful people because they are understand what's really going on globally. Um, but upon my arrival here to my beloved Canada, to Calgary, I was arrested immediately after I arrived. I was not even allowed to give a hug to my children and to kiss my wife. That's how wicked those people are. Evil, evil, evil. Knowing that I have been away for so long, um, I arrived, my wife, my children are waking, waiting for me. They were not allowed to come uh, close and I was not even uh, given a courtesy to say hi to my children, to hug my 12-year-old daughter. I mean, that's how evil those people are. I was arrested by masked bandits right uh, coming out of my air, uh, uh, you know, airplane and my belongings were taken away from me. My luggage, my clothes, uh, my computer, my backpack and I was myself taken to the police custody where I was uh, processed, you know, fingerprints, uh, solitary confinement, the whole nine yards and I had the bail hearing and when I was coming out after I was released by the JP uh, I asked for my belongings. Where is my stuff? I mean, I was taken straight from the from the plane and they said, we have no idea what happened to your stuff. Uh, we don't have it. I mean, excuse me, you are the police. You arrested me. Where is my stuff? And they were puzzled. They didn't know what happened to my stuff. It was taken. It was taken. Um, so here I'm going to this building. Um, to the warehouse to find out if perhaps they have brought that stuff uh, here because I don't know, no one contacted me, no one called me, uh, they just stole my stuff, they took my stuff and no one knows what happened to, to it. So I made a few phone calls and I was told that perhaps uh, the stuff is going to be here. I will find out soon. Um, I don't know why they want me to come in. I might not uh, be able to come out. So. Um, I just don't know, at this moment, I am very puzzled, our lawyers are very puzzled, because we used to think that Canada is a, a country that has a, a set of laws and set of rules. The Criminal Code of Canada, which has been broken, 
every single time that those officers are showing up in our church, disrupting our religious services, arresting pastors, fencing churches. The criminal code 172 has been broken so many times. It looks like we have entered an era of lawlessness. One law for me, one law for the, for the, the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, broke the rules for party with his minister of finance, with the minister of environment. Oh, he had a good time with the whiskey bottle, not wearing a muzzle, not uh, social distancing. And that's fine, you see, because they're the pharaohs and we are the slaves. They can do whatever they want. They can break every rule and any rule. But not for you, really. be careful. You might be arrested. You might be criminally charged like me just for simply living your life. It's shocking. And remember, I grew up in hell on earth behind the Iron Curtain under the boots of the Soviets. And here for me, maybe not for you, but for me, this is just a repetition of history. And I'm heartbroken. I have three children. What kind of a nation they're going to have tomorrow if we will let those corrupted politicians to do what they do and with the assistance of masked bandits, gangsters in uniforms? That's shocking. Is there no officer that say, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is unconstitutional. This is illegal. This is wrong. I will not partake in this. Or they just say, well, I'm just doing my job like the Nazis, like the SS, like the Gestapo, you know, during the Hitler era. I'm just doing my job. What can I do? I'm just doing my job. Well, I'm going in and see if my staff is there. Good morning. I'm here to pick up my staff. Excuse me, guys. Outside's fine, but not inside, please. Why not? You're, you're afraid of something? For security purposes, please do not come in. For security purposes? I'm asking you nicely. Please do not come in here. Okay? You don't like to be caught red-handed like the Nazis of all. You don't, you hate that idea. I, I've heard you. I'm not deaf. You don't like to be recorded because you don't want. You don't like your face to be right there. That you're a, a, a communist Nazi Gestapo, right? You're here for your stuff. Please take your stuff. You were supposed to call me. You took. You stole my stuff. You took my stuff from the airport, and you don't even call me to tell me where is my stuff. You've stolen my things. Good. Why you didn't call me that you have my stuff? Why I was not notified that you have stolen my things and you have, you have brought them here for two so days? I did try one phone number, the only one I could find for you. Oh, come on. You know how to arrest me, but you don't know how to contact me, right? Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> they know how to find me when they want to handcuff me in front of my children. They just don't know how to contact me to return my stuff that was taken away from me. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you know, they hate the idea of filming. Thank you, Rebel, for doing this, because without you, people would not have clue what's really going on in our beloved Canada. They don't like to be recorded. They don't like this to go out because they know, they know it's wrong. They know they're breaking the law. They don't like to be exposed. <laughs> Like that pilot, I, when I was arrested and being taken, the pilot, the, uh, the officer in charge says, take his telephone away. I am going to open this door, so you can go through it. Your stuff is in there, and then we have to go. Okay, thank you.
Thank you. So another thing is, here are all of my electronics, my computer, my data, the whole nine years. I don't know what they were doing with my stuff. I don't know if they were tampering with something. I have no idea. And no one notified me. No one said anything to me. I mean, that's sick. That's how low we have fallen in this country. So anyway, I'll let you know if I have everything and I'm glad that has not been stolen. Archer left with his wife, who he will be spending most of his time with along with their children until he awaits his court date for October 13th, where he will be either sentenced for 21 days in prison for opening his church, or he will be set free from this draconian nightmare. If you would like to stand beside Archer, the best way to do that is by going to savearcher.com and help us crowdfund his legal fees against the Alberta government. I want to thank you for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Kean Simone.